Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Karen Marhefka, Deputy CIO of the Medical Group at RJW Barnabas Health. In Part 1, Marhefka talks about the intense amount of planning required to roll out an EHR with a fully remote staff. Why coming to an organization that was planning to migrate to Epic felt like going home again. What it takes to merge two cultures, not just on paper, but in reality and why she believes it's critical to be just as much of a cheerleader for operations as she is for IT. I wanted to start by talking about the organization and your role as VP of IT for the medical group. Can you give, I guess, first an overview okay. of uh, RJW Barnabas? So Robert Wood Johnson, very large health organization, and St. Barnabas Medical Center, which is, again, very, very large organization, they merged way back as two large health entities predominantly merging their, their acute care offerings, the big hospitals. And along with that were two prominent medical groups. One was primarily associated with Robert Wood Johnson. The other was primarily associated with St. Barnabas. And those medical groups have now combined into one very, very large medical group and have recently actually had another entity join them which was Rutgers, the medical school, and the medical school practices at Rutgers. So the label on the bottom of my signature line is now RWJ Barnabas Rutgers Medical Group. So those are the big, huge entities that make up this combined medical group, but it is growing every single day where they're buying other large practices, other medium practices, independent providers, are joining existing practices, but it's constant. It's every single day that the volume of practices and physicians, providers is growing with this group, which makes it fascinating during an epic implementation on how to manage that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <Okay. laughs> so now in terms of your role, do you report to Robert Irwin? Or I know you, I'm sure you work closely with him, but how is that relationship? So I report directly to Bob Irwin, who was the corporate SVP, Chief Information Officer for the entire organization. And I have a very, I'll call it dotted line, but it's really black and really thick (laughs) dotted line to uh, Dr. Andy Anderson, who is the Chief Executive Officer for the growing, the large medical group. Okay. Okay. Now, in terms of uh, some of your core objectives, you just mentioned something pretty big. So <laughs> let's talk about that <laughs> and um, going to Epic. So what, what phase uh, are things in right now? So the entire organization is moving to Epic. So hospitals as well as the medical group, but it's, it's happening in what we call waves. And there are six waves that expand over four to five years. And waves one and two are happening this year. That's the medical group. We're going first. And so we split um, the large portions of the medical group um, equally between the two waves. Uh, The first one, our first big go live is May 29th. It's over Memorial Day weekend. And the second wave is October 1st. And then we start picking up hospitals and so forth. Okay. So I guess a first thought is when you did come to the organization and that was in the interim role, so what, where were things at that point? 
I mean, I'm sure this is so, all about planning and <laughs> whatnot. Yes, but. that stage, that was last June. And of course, that was during planning, but build actually in Epic Speak, the build of the applications was underway. Okay. And this, this was also building Epic in an organization during a complete lockdown with COVID. Yeah was also an intense amount of planning to be able to do that, to organize that, have everyone, including Epic, um, as they were going through their own, how are we going to do this 100% remotely? Um, Everyone was trying to figure out how that was going to happen. By the time I joined in June, there was already, the technology obviously was in place where everyone working from home had everything they needed to be able to do that. But there was a nice cadence already that had settled in. So that part, it was a joy for me to join at that time because I didn't necessarily have to be three different people, one focusing on Epic, one focusing on working on Epic in a COVID 100% remote environment, and then the third person making sure that the day-to-day operations were working as they should with our legacy system. So I was very fortunate to be able to come into the role where I only had to focus on two of those three things because the COVID aspect of it had been taken care of. That being said, COVID planning um, and making sure that we were monitoring our progress with the implementation in a 100% remote capacity, that ongoing, how are we doing? What are we missing? What's falling through the cracks? Is everything okay? That is constant, constant, and has led to a point up until now where we are now, where, again, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this, but no one even fathoms what it would feel like if it wasn't what we're doing. I mean, yeah. Why would it be any different? (laughs) Right. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of pressure on the practices within the medical group during COVID and seeing patients and working through all of that. But from a complete system overhaul perspective, everyone is finding that the efficiencies with remote work, it's just been incredible. It's just been incredible. Yeah. And then as far as medical group being wave one and two, what were your feelings towards that? I mean, I know that that's probably not unusual for Epic. Maybe that's the uh, standard, but what are your thoughts around that? Well, For me, it was like going home again. When I left UMass in 2012, I went into consulting for eight straight years, I guess call it eight and a half years. And so joining at the time that I did with Robert Wood Johnson, Dr. W.J. Barnabas Rutgers, and I was told, oh, and here's our wave planning and look who goes first. It's a big medical group. I thought, oh, I'm home. (laughs) <laughs> because right. you know, if you remember, that's exactly what happened at UMass because we started with all scripts. And so it felt like, you know, like a bit of a deja vu, but man, oh man, I know so much more. The health systems know so much more. The vendors know so much more. So it was, it was like we all graduated, you know, with PhDs and how this stuff works. And it's just amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So there's pros and cons, I would imagine, in being the ones to go first. Yep, for sure. And I think at first it was, you know, incredible concern and fear and all the normal things that you would 
think for any go live, even though these are, you know, everyone's very experienced in having done this either at this organization or other organizations. But I think they've also gotten into a, a little bit of comfort in knowing that as we split these waves into parts and pieces, for lack of a better term, what we learn during the first one will unbelievably support and smooth out what happens with the second one and then so forth and, you know, and so on. And I remind people all the time, even though it was over almost nine years ago now at UMass and many other organizations that Big Bang was the way to go. Just get it all done, rip the Band-Aid off and have everybody go live. And how that has its, I'll call them little pros and a lot of cons once you go live. And this way, it's taking big, big bites, but it's taking bites. It's not everything at once. So I was really glad to hear that, that that was the plan, because I think that's just much more manageable. And the success rate is just that much better. It elongates the whole process, the whole go live experience for sure. And there's lots of in-between things that you've got to make sure you connect the dots while half your organization is live and half your organization is not. But my opinion is that the way we're managing this is just really pointing to more opportunity for success than you would in a big bang situation, which was what my experience was. Right. Okay. So that's obviously something that's uh, very big. It's a huge priority. And what are some of the other objectives that uh, that your team is working on? So one of the reasons I think, I hope, I've been given this feedback was that the organization felt that I was very appealing for this role and for given what was happening with Epic and and the, the medical group growing as it is is that, I don't know if if you recall this, and this was a big part of the interview that I did back at UMass with you guys, with Anthony. I bring more focus to operational change than I do to technology change. Yeah. And I believed it then, and I believe it now, and I live it every day with with this role as, as a deputy CIO. The technology is nailed for the most part, especially with Epic. But the change, uh, the workflow changes and how drastically an operation uh, flow, patient as it, you know, take it from a patient-centered perspective or a provider-centered perspective, moving to an Epic platform and what that means from how it impacts the workflow is just, it's very, very drastic. It's all positive because the tools are so great. It's all positive, but it's an enormous amount of change. And so I've been so hungry to get back into a role where where I can help focus on that. And and, um, there's no doubt with every project as large as this one, it's an assess, build, and let's use it uh, mentality. And my focus is assess and build but using it and the experience of using it, it needs to be under all of that from the very beginning all the way to the day that we go live and beyond. Yeah. And it's, that's something that, as you can imagine, really just comes up so often in discussions we have leading change. To you, it's, what are some of the keys? I mean, is, is a lot of it about reading the culture and you know, reading the organization? What are some of your thoughts around that? 
So with my role and my customers as a CIO, my customers, obviously the medical group, I have to remember that this is also a medical group that is still trying to culturally merge. They're merged on paper. They are definitely one group, but they all come from a disparate way of doing things. And we do have my partner. I love working with him every single day is the chief operating officer for this large medical group. And we're learning together that even the best tools in the world, the best change management planning, the best of everything, which we have, which we have, that doesn't discount the fact that cultural merging and how things get done, cultural merging, or you can put any phrase in there, eats a good implementation for lunch. Oh, yeah, yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah. You know, that's still a very, very big factor with this this organization and and this big go live with Epic. Um, But we're getting there. Sometimes we'll point out, the COO and myself will point out to our constituents, Epic is forcing us to take a look at standardization and centralization. It's forcing us to do that. Maybe a lot faster, um, a lot sooner than we would have tackled some things, but it's forcing us to do that. And there are champions for that. And there are folks who are not champions for that, who would like to have the opportunity to do things much more methodically and carefully. So we're trying to kind of marry all that together as we're moving towards go live. But again, that's where often when I talk to my CIO colleagues, not at Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas, since we're all in this together, but colleagues outside of the organization, folks that I've become friends with through consulting. I am the preacher of making sure that you are just as much of an operations cheerleader, cheering squad as as you are for IT. It has to be combined. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.